welcome to episode 66 of the Pirate Monk Podcast. We're back on the air, coming to you almost live from high above the Mellow Mushroom in downtown metropolitan Franklin, Tennessee, uh, here on a rainy, bleary uh, Tuesday morning. I'm not sure what, what what's it like out there on the left coast, Aaron? Oh, well, fog's burning off here in San Luis Obispo, looking to be about 75 with a cool breeze today. That sounds fantastic. Well, we've got the we've got the remnants of uh, Hurricane, uh, I don't know which one it is, Ken, Ike, Jay, something. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Thelonious Moon. Yeah, but at least it's brought us some relief from the heat. Those triple-digit temperatures are gone, and it was in the 60s yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and and we're off from uh, a, a bit of a hiatus. It's been a uh, it's been several weeks since we gathered for our regular meeting. It's good to see you guys again. Good uh, to be here. It's good to see your <laughs> your Skyping face across the screen. <laughs> you look really nice. I'm glad you cut your beard off. I like seeing your baby face. Um, gosh, that feels just a little bit weird. <laughs> well, if I said I like touching your baby face, that would be weird. Yeah, like, yeah. Seeing your baby face is okay. Uh, Mondo, you got a bit of a beard going, or is it, you just didn't stop to shave? Uh, I didn't stop. Yeah, you just been going. Yeah, I, fr- I figured that razor that's like about two months too old. Uh-huh. I started cutting. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Um, I, I I feel you because I put my old ones back in the the little slots, yeah. and so for the last four months I keep going in there thinking maybe one of them's not an old one, yeah. and I don't know why I think there's going to be some miracle that happens between times that I try it, but yeah. there's four different packs in my cupboard that I run through, and cut myself with. This is so one of, I, this is one I think of at life's some point I should just, you know, go to the store, but <laughs> nah. nah. This right. is one of life's great mysteries. Why do we save A, used razors, B, do you do this? You don't throw the old batteries away? Uh-huh. Yeah. Huh? Put, put them in the fridge? Yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just impossible to tell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's always great when you're a musician, and you you need a uh, you yeah. know that fresh battery for a wireless something or a pedal, and all you've got is a drawer full of I'm not sure batteries. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's good to see that you are back in San Luis. Uh, your hiatus slash um, tropical vacation is over, Aaron. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me it was a tropical vacation at the beginning? It would have been so much more fun. <laughs> but I do, you know what, you have told me a story that you have not told Mondo, nor have you shared it, Uh-oh. with our vast listening audience. Uh, I want to hear about um, your trip out to the country bar uh, on the uh, <laughs> on your new motorcycle with Dane. I want to hear about you I, know, the entrance you made. There, there are so many uh, heroic things I've done in my life, uh-huh. and you have to ask for that story? <laughs> well, you have a choice. You can tell the story, or I can tell the story. 
All right. Well, we'll be we'll be reading your Triple X Church Watch report uh, soon after. Just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Go More ahead, Celine dude. Dion on there. Oh yeah, sure. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> my my brothers uh, got together while I was away on my sabbatical slash doing manual labor and living in a tent for two months, mm-hmm. uh, and they pitched in and Dane built me a motorcycle, and it is perfect and awesome. It's a cruiser, and. Uh, you know, I I drove it without a license for a little bit, and I didn't mind that except that it had a 2009 registration sticker on it, so that made me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So Dane takes me out on on a long, like, 100-mile ride after church. I didn't have to preach that night, and he's he's showing me all the tricks, and I start doing great. I am like, uh, does anybody know a famous motorcycle guy? Fonzie. I'm Peter like Fonda. Fonzie. <laughs> that's, that's the only one I would have recognized. Well done, Rex. Uh, Thank you very much. So, I'm like Fonzie on a country vacation, and we're we're I don't even know where we are, but we're coming in to Pozo. It's this little town where almost no one lives, but there's a really famous old bar called the Pozo Saloon. And in the back, there's a huge stage where Willie Nelson flies in and plays. Uh, they do big reggae, big rap concerts. It's just bizarre. It's easily 45 minutes off the freeway in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And this bar's only open on the weekend. On the weekend, it's mostly populated with Harley folks. And Dane passes a truck, and then I see him realize, oh, I'm going to turn into that parking lot. <laughs> well, by the time I pass the truck, we're now right at the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And so I pull over and see uh, there's no way I'm going to make the first entrance, but I see a second entrance. And the one piece of information nobody told me, which seemed like good information for a guy <laughs> that doesn't know how to ride a motorcycle, and this is really the fourth time I've been on it for a long period of time, is don't touch the front brakes. Yeah. If you're in deep gravel. <laughs> so I've just passed this truck, and I pull over, and I don't actually recall anything except now sliding under my bike sideways, which if I could have popped it back up or done a wheelie afterwards would have been awesome. But I mostly just was laying on the ground with the throttle on full. And all the Harley people looking at me from one direction, standing outside the bar, and the truck I just passed pulling over saying, Are you okay? To which I said, Just keep driving. I don't need you right now. Go. Go. (laughs) And uh, so Dane ran across the parking lot because he had already successfully parked because he knew about that whole front brake thing and uh and then he he walked my bike over and i walked by myself with my helmet on through the harley people to check on the damage to the new bike so yeah, yeah i think that's a great great story to ask for that was good thanks nate i'm 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 aaron i'm checking in with shame now yeah i, was, I know that guy joy i'm shame well, 
that was a that was a service actually to our entire Samson community. Thank you for humbling yourself and oh, yeah. uh, sharing that story with us. <laughs> Uh, I, I expect to be lifted up in due time now. Jesus promised. Wow. All right. Well, we'll be right back with a mini-meeting here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Whoa! Pirate's life is a wonderful life, a roving over the sea. Give me a career as a buccaneer, it's the life of a pirate for me. Oh, the life of a pirate for me. And we're back. Uh, welcome to this mini-meeting of the Samson Society. It's just a little one. <laughs> it's just a model. Uh, we're a company of Christian men. We're also natural loners who've recognized the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth. Natural judges who are learning how to judge ourselves aright. Natural strongmen who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weaknesses. As Christians, we meet at other times for worship, for teaching, or for corporate prayer. Today, however, we meet to talk. Our purpose is to assist one another in our common journey. We do so by sharing honestly, out of our own personal experience, the challenges and encouragements of daily Christian living in a fallen world. Our faith rests oh, <clears throat> rests in the love of God, and I, we don't read the fact, do we, during... No, we don't, not during the mini-meeting. Uh, we jump straight to the sharing portion of the meeting. In sharing, we speak honestly out of our own experience. We tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and will hold whatever we say in Strict. strictest confidence. We try to keep our comments brief, taking care to leave plenty of time for others, we address our statements to the group as a whole rather than directing them toward any one person. As a rule, we refrain from giving advice to others or instructing them during the meeting, believing that such conversations are best reserved for private moments between friends. The suggested topic today is uh, motorcycle skills or <laughs> martyrdom. Let's go with martyrdom. Uh, <laughs> the uh, but uh, uh, you're not confined to that subject. You may speak about any issue that's currently commanding your attention. The meeting is now open. Well, I'm Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, this one's easy, but uh, I mean, often I got to think a lot about it. But martyrdom. I mean, that goes hand-in-hand hand with being a professional Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, having a martyr complex, and that, that, can, that can be absolutely the, the worst part of my life as far as uh, the, that place I make decisions from. And I'll, I'll be very curious what other people feel about this, because I, I do feel like it's just part of being a pastor that you're supposed to get uh, nailed up on the cross by people being inappropriate, and if you get the crap kicked out of you, it must mean you're doing it right, and stuff like that that has nothing to do with truth, but you can still live by that um, and draw a lot of strength from that instead of actually drawing strength from the gospel. Mm. And if I'm a martyr, I can treat people however the hell I want to, 
because I'm drawing strength not from the gospel and actually loving them, but from a place where I get to be a martyr superhero kind of person. And I can show these scars that were for Jesus. When I've realized often in my life they're scars just because of my own behavior or arrogance. So the when I think of a martyr, and I grew up... the one of the earliest books that I had as a child, I think I got it at age seven, was Fox's Book of Martyrs. Mm. And I've, I have no idea why anyone gave a seven-year-old that book, but I loved it. I read it over and over. So I, I really, that word had a lot of impact and punch. And I went to a Christian school where they would ask children on a regular basis, if somebody held a gun to your head and said, do you believe in Jesus, what would you say? Which, again, I don't know why people would say that to elementary school kids, but we had lots of missionaries coming through asking children if they would be tortured for their faith. Uh, adults out there, if you do that, stop asking that question of children. That's a stupid question. Maybe that was too harsh. Anyways... I think all of that came into a very false martyr kind of place. But then there was another part of it where aspects of my life were sacrificial, the details of which I'm not going to go into because there's one person in the room that understands what I mean, and that's enough. But that set me up in a wrong way as well. I, I had the false martyr part that was protecting me from my own inappropriateness and then I had a real martyr part but then I had to kind of live up to that identity because again it had nothing to do with my identity in Christ that I wasn't I wasn't really a martyr in this situation I was just actually being a Christian but my identity started to really form with this is hard and I can take it and then when that went away it crushed my identity I didn't know how to not be a martyr. I didn't know how to just be a person in relationships with these other people because I only knew how to be a martyr. So the martyr thing comes up on both those spectrums way too often for me. And I, I recognize it as being vocational in part and part just the way I was raised as a kid that liked superheroes. And so being the downtrodden... Batman that nobody understands and he has to hide in a cave by himself suits me just fine. Mm -hmm. That's all I have to say about that. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. I'm Nate. Hey, Nate. <clears throat> hey, Nate. Uh, yeah, I connect with martyrdom too. Not and it's not something that I saw when I first entered recovery. Uh, I, I remember a. a a sponsor early on when I was doing my fearless moral inventory suggesting that I might want to take a look at self-pity. Um, and, uh, yeah, like you, Aaron, I, um, I got some kind of a perverse pleasure out of making sacrifices for other people, and I inflated, really, what those sacrifices were. Um, and um, you know because somehow that made me more righteous it made me more Christian it made me a better pastor it made me a better person 
Um, so really, it was more for me and my own self-image than anything else that I did a lot of that stuff. And also, an inability to say no to people. Um, I did things that I didn't want to do simply because I didn't have the nerve to refuse. Um, afraid of what rejection or criticism might come if I said no. So I would go ahead and, and uh, work to meet other people's expectations and then chalk that up as virtue. Um, that was martyrdom, which won me kind of like some special privileges. Um, you know, I, I wanted my 72 virgins early, basically. And I used... Um, uh, I got a great sense of entitlement out of my martyrdom. And the entitlement, for me, fueled my, uh, to some degree, my sexual acting out. As though I'm somehow balancing the scales, that God will understand, or something, I don't know. Um... You know, you know, there's a classic moment, uh, you know, in a, in a meeting one time that I was in where a guy was sharing, and very, very seldom in a 12-step meeting, this was in a 12-step meeting, very seldom is anybody ever interrupted. But sometimes somebody is just going on and on and on, and uh, and it's just not going anywhere. And I remember a meeting where a guy, some guy was just really deep into self-pity, and it had been going on forever. And finally, <laughs> some crotchety old guy had about had it, you know, said, uh, excuse me. Uh, and he just interrupted the guy and he said, would you get down off the cross? We need the wood. <laughs> wow. Um, and, you know, as... You know, I saw, I mean, it just, uh, and it was kind of a cruel thing to say, and I saw the old guy make amends later, and, you know, it was a bit of a grandstanding thing, but I felt the impact of that statement myself, because um, I'm good at hogging the wood. Uh, not for any constructive purpose, but just to put myself up in the air where everybody can see how much I'm suffering. Mm. Um, so... I, you know, I am learning in recovery. Um, I'm learning how to say no, which is kind of a, a new thing, uh, so that I don't suffer, you know, unnecessarily. I also am learning how to embrace, uh, you know, sacrifice, and to do some things I don't want to do, but to understand that that really does not entitle me to any special privileges. I get to share the sufferings of Christ. And uh, there's a different kind of reward that comes with that. Um, but uh, walking away from martyrdom is a difficult thing to do. I really kind of love that role. And my religious persona, Saint Nate, was very much a martyr. And I appreciated when people noticed what a great martyr I was. Uh, so, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's still uh, a part of me that lives... And self-pity is one of my character defects that I have to keep an eye on. I have to keep an inventory of uh, because it's a pattern that I can very easily slip into. Thanks, I'm Nate. Thanks, Nate. And I, I just have to... Uh, that's, that's powerful that you just connected 
martyrdom to the word self-pity and self-entitlement. So I'm, I'm hanging on to that. You've defined both pendulum swings concisely. And that's my commentary to your comments for the morning. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Aaron. My name is Rex. Hey, Rex. Hey, Rex. Hey, Rex. hey guys. Um, yeah, I, I think the term martyr and uh, I think the culture has co-opted the term. Uh, it, I think it originally obviously had honorable meaning. Um, and uh, as a person who um, I think falls in line with the original sin of, of, of when Satan told Eve, did God really say? And, you know, hey, if you, if you do this your way, you, you can find a way. Um, I think the thought of the transvaluation of God's kingdom that, uh, for instance, making the statement, because of martyrdom, then you have salvation. Kind of the thought that if, you, if you're martyred, then that's your, you know, kind of ticket. As opposed to, because you have salvation, there will be martyrdom at some level. And, uh, and so that, that concept, that transvaluation of actually what the, the true word means, we've co-opted through our sense of entitlement. You know, how we define, we get to define our path. We get to kind of tell God how he can do it. And, uh, and unless that we're in true community, unless we're around people that um, can speak into our, into our uh, world, um, we may never know. We may never be confronted with with the reality that wow, I'm actually living my life uh, in an unhealthy way, and uh, so I've just experienced you know the idea of martyrdom and suffering. I think that's the word that Christians would probably uh, resonate with. But martyrdom sounds until you get to Revelation, you know, then it's like oh, that's that's where that term is brought up. Um, but my favorite part of scripture was when Meshach. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before the you know, king. Was it Nebuchadnezzar that they stood before? And he yep. s- he said, um, you know, bow your knee to me and I'll save you. And they said, you know, or I'll throw you into the fire. And they said, you know, he said, if your God is, you know, he'll be able to save you if he's your God. And he said, and they said, well, you know, our God is able to save us. But whether he does or not, we're not bowing our knee. And that's a really strong, healthy statement you know about faith that um it resonates with me too even thinking about martyrdom and and the idea when jesus said some of you they'll kill some of you they'll deliver and and kick out of the synagogue and some of you you know you'll you'll suffer and yet not one hair on your head will perish that juxtaposition of thought like whoa wait a minute jesus you just said i might die but not one head on my head will perish and the idea is we're not home yet this is not our home and uh, it, at, at a certain level, that can bring fear because I don't like pain, you know, and, and I don't like to uh, reveal secret parts of me uh, because those are the places I'm still trying to hold on to and medicate with and gain acceptance with God. And maybe there's a way I can perform this and get God to like me, you know. And uh, uh, the freedom comes with you got to let that go because you're not home yet. And uh, uh, that, you know, the idea of martyrdom uh, is, is such a strange idea. I connect it more with suffering and what it means to, to share in the sufferings of Christ and actually stewarding your suffering in the same way that you steward your blessing, you know. So um, just kind of some random thoughts about that. I've, martyrdom, that's a, that's, a, that's a big word. 
but um, that's where I resonate with that. Thanks, Rex. Thanks, Rex. Hello, Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Uh, man, you guys have hit me all over the place. Um, uh, Nate, when you were talking about the guy in the meeting, and and uh, I guess I let go of the cross. You know, we need that wood. Uh, he's probably talking to me. <laughs> you know, uh, man, you talking about death grip on the cross. Um, and what's what's interesting about it is, you know, that's where I ended up establishing my new identity was sitting right there. And and also wanted to say, hey, look what I'm holding on to. Everybody, come look. Come see how hurtful this cross is and, I, and how I just can't let go of it. Uh, and, I, and I started noticing that, would be, that became my new identity. And then what's psycho about it is then I realized I had to maintain that identity. Mm-hmm. And it, the, the hole just got deeper. Just deeper and deeper and deeper, um, but over time, and you know, of course, with guys calling me out in so many words, saying "Let go of the cross, we need the wood." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so many guys, will, you know, come alongside of me and say, "Hey, man, look, you know, you, you need to let go of that thing." Um, and I, and I found myself viewing other believers, other guys, brothers, sisters, whatever it may be. If you're not holding on to your cross as tight as I am, then you're not doing this walk, this this Christ walk right. You're, you're not you're not doing it. If you don't if you don't have a cross in every pocket, one in your backpack, under your hat, if you don't if you don't have one, man, I don't know. You might need to go get saved. <laughs> you know, again, uh, uh, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be and it's it's really strange because I never saw myself in that I would be in that mindset or that position. But it's amazing how life circumstances and choices uh, can can put you in a place where you identify with something that you said I will never be that way, and then try to hold on it for dear you know hold on to it for dear life and not let go. Um, but the good news of it is, my perspective has has changed where I've let go of it. I still know where it is. I can show those who may need to see the testimony in the cross that I was holding. But I can also show those that need to see the blessing of my testimony, how I've let go of it and walked from it. So it's it's a balance. It's it's where I don't forget about it, but yet it's not the only thing on my mind. You know, uh it's it's right in the middle because I you know, and what's interesting what, how I got to that place was one being called out by some guys, two others coming to me for, you know, a conversation, you know, for assistance or just want to know is there some commonality between our stories? Is there, you know, uh, and just sharing and talking. And I realized by me let, letting go and showing the blessing of what's after you let go of that cross has helped imputed great things into people beyond what you know me showing them hey look look I'm holding on that would have probably made them go backwards mm. <laughs> I don't want that pain mm. get me away from that you know what I mean so yeah. it's 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 cool now we're now I'm I'm in a different place and, and when you said that with the cross on and 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 martyr man I'm like dude 
that totally makes sense to me. When you first said the topic, I'm like, whoa, okay, where's this going? And then as you guys started talking, I'm like, good Lord, they're describing me. Wow, wow, <laughs> wow. So, uh, but yeah, that, it's 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 probably, we probably need to have this topic again next week. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can go back, and I know Aaron said, said a little while ago, he wanted to probably even go again just because yeah. it's it's triggering a lot of thoughts and uh, self-analyzation. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm Mondo. Thanks, Mondo. And we'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast with our guest for the day, Rex Schnelly, guitarist extraordinaire, session musician here in Nashville, uh, and fellow inhabitant of Starbucks. <laughs> that music we heard coming in, hmm. uh, that instrumental featured who, Rex? That was a dream come true, um, answer to prayer lots of different you know fantasy you know kind of realized um that was me and eric johnson grammy winning guitar player and phil kagi um actually trading solos on a song that i wrote called hero shuffle and uh it was uh, a period in my life where um lots of stuff lots of suffering lots of dealing with uh Wife had a chronic pain condition, was not working. I was not working and uh, was just kind of trying to deal with suffering in my yeah. life and, and reconciling that with, you know, a good God and, and, and you know, how every, every way he loves me. And, uh, <laughs> um, and then kind of out of the blue, literally, um, uh, Eric and, and Phil and actually another guitar player named Dan Huff, Mm-hmm. who's a producer, but also a, a world-renowned, I think, shredder would be the term that guitar players would give to him, uh, agreed to play on my record. Um, and uh, so Eric is in Austin, Texas, and my brother, I'm from Texas, my brother lives there, and so um, I actually uh, had met Eric previously, and we had talked about collaboration, but some time and other things had gotten in the way we had not contacted for a long time and so i just uh, called his manager one day and said mm-hmm. you know reintroduce myself and left a message basically and yeah 
and his manager called me back the next day and said, "Hey, you know, um, Eric, um, he can't collaborate, but 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 he said he could, you know, do an overdub." So, went down to Austin, hung out in the studio with Eric for a couple of days, which was unbelievable. Um, he's such a warm, wonderful soul. Um, you know, he he's got these accolades as a guitar player, as a as an instrumentalist, and yet, you know, he opened up his heart. Um, you know, we shared some good time. He put the solo down, um, and it was it was an incredible, beautiful time. Where, you know, could you imagine really getting to hang with your hero? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, getting to spend time with this person that you kind of emulated as a guitar player, and then you know, obviously I had met him, so I knew he was a warm kind of you know, embracing guy, and then to actually get to spend time with him, and which was a rich, rich time, and and. Um, and then a little bit later, probably a couple of weeks later, um, Phil Kagey, you know, I had the idea that we would trade these solos mm-hmm. and, you know, gave the tracks to Phil Kagey and he put his solo on that too. And what I realized after this whole thing had come together and it was this dream come true of this, you know, me and Eric Johnson and Phil Kagey trading guitar solos mm-hmm. on my record, which was, you know, incredible experience. I remember back in the 80s in Austin when I lived there being a musician I had friends that were that were dreaming of hey let's get I wonder if there's a way we could get Eric Johnson and Phil Kagan together to record you know and trying to you know maybe who knows these guys are you know I know Phil Kagan's people you know Eric's people maybe we can get them together and so it was just kind of this dream back then in the 80s of, of producer friends of mine songwriter friends of mine musician friends of mine that have thought wow that would be great you know mm-hmm. to get that together and so here was the serendipitous watershed event that literally, I mean, it, it sounds like a dream come true, but I was just writing these songs, recording these songs, um, happened to be at a birthday party with Phil Kagey was, you know, at the birthday party and mentioned the fact that I would dream to have this done, you know, on my record. And Phil Kagey said, hey, why don't you let me play on your record, you know, and had already met Eric previously. But like I said, time got in the way. Things had happened. Yeah. I think that he was... You know, finishing up another record that he had done. We hadn't even talked probably in four, four years, three, yeah, four years. Yeah. And so when Phil said that, I said, well, you know, why don't I just kind of go for broke and call Eric, yeah. his manager? That happened. And then I ran into Dan Huff in his studio. Uh, I was doing a demo for a writer that was actually uh, signed to Dan's publishing company at the yeah. time. And literally, Dan Huff came into the studio and said, hey, Mark told me you're doing a record. Why don't you let me play on your record, man? He said, I, I believe his words were, my chops are up. I've been, I did a Michael Bolton record, and he said, my chops are up. Let me play on your record. Oh, you know? Cool, cool. And it was just like, literally, God was loving me through other people. Yeah. Like my friend Mike Smith said, he gives gifts and he wraps them up in people. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, and, uh, and so, what? I mean, just a blessing, bl- blessed time for those guys to love me in that way. They didn't know they were loving me that way, mm-hmm. but they were just really. Maybe they did. Maybe they, yeah. maybe they did yeah. know they were. But um, so that's well, kind of what happened. Um, you know, we go to the same church, but I yeah. didn't first get to know you in church. In fact, right. uh, I recognize you in church as the guy from Starbucks. <laughs> Um, right. And, and for as long as I've been there, uh, you've been there, not as regularly as me. I'm there every day, but you're there usually several times a week. At least once a week you're there on Mondays with your guys, typically, mm-hmm. unless you got something else going. Mm-hmm. And I see you often sharing a table with somebody else, uh, deep in conversation. 
you're a man who lives his life with other men. Mm. You've kind of found your way to a collaborative Christian life. Yeah. Uh, and what fascinates me, and, and we've we've become friends, and uh, you and your darling bride been over the house. Mm. Mm. Um, what fascinates me is that you also have to collaborate in your work. I'm a little envious of that, to be honest. <laughs> My work is is uh, can be kind of lonely, you know, just me and a page writing. Um, but you do. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that some of your writing you do alone, but you also do collaborative songwriting. Mm-hmm. You collaborate on albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, you understand uh, and have got to embrace the give and take of relationship in order to to uh, to, to create. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering. You know, I'm more and more convinced that the Christian life is a collaborative thing. Christianity is a team sport, not an individual event. We don't follow them alone. We only follow them together. What lessons can we draw from uh, artistic collaboration Mm -hmm. that might have application for daily Christian living? And I could pose the same question, I'm sure, to Mondo. Mondo, I'm sure you'll... Because you work... It's a collaborative deal every day for you here in the studio, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'd love for maybe you guys to talk about uh, what makes collaboration work, uh, what makes collaboration fail. Obviously, you tend to. It would seem to me uh, some people are easier to work with than others. Mm -hmm. There are probably some very nice people who, for one reason or another, it's just not going to work with. Right. there are ways to make it happen. There are ways to kill it. Mm-hmm. And perhaps my most pressing question is, what kills collaboration? What kills that spirit of cooperation that makes us w- walk together? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, uh, you know, I, I have to approach it from a couple of different places. Um, I think first, community. Um there's an aspect, I believe, of normal Christianity. It doesn't work outside of community in, in a certain sense. Uh, there's a verse in Second Corinthians chapter 1 that talks about that. We comfort others with the comfort we ourselves receive. And so kind of a paraphrase of that is your healing is found in other people. And when you, when you bring to bear the comfort you've received from, from the Lord in whatever suffering that you may have... Until you cl- you collaborate in a sense in community and give that away, and then the the uh, you know the return comes from the other person, we find that our healing is is in that interchange. We comfort others with the comfort we ourselves receive, and God has created it that way. And because I'm a selfish creature, an entitlement creature, and I'm uh, you know I. You know, basically, I worship myself. I, you know, I try to put myself up on the cross or on the throne and try to, you know, it's all about me. And I hate that about myself, but I recognize that that's the truth. And what the gospel comes in and turns it upside down and says, no, it's about others. And so here's a radical uh, comment. Being committed to the success of others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where, wow, that's a statement that you go, is that... Wow, that's what Christ, he's ser- being a servant means being committed to the success of others. Right. And uh, so you, you enter into that kind of relationship with other people. And I always tell, it's funny, Nate, 
been sitting with people at Starbucks, and it's it was all birthed out of me trying to process my suffering. How do I my pain, my emotion, you know, my my loneliness, my depression. And what I found is when I would talk with people, I would say, um, and they would, I think they would come to me. Some people maybe found out my story and they maybe felt like I had some insight. And as an elder in the church, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe assigned, quote unquote, to walk with people. And what I say is, okay, I'm going to be honest with you in this first meeting. Um, in my opinion, the only way this is going to work is that we, this is a two way street. Um, because I'm going to share my heart with you. And uh, our, uh, you know, accountability as far as this not really leaving between the two of us is going to have to go along with it because we're going to have to get honest with each other for anything substantive to happen uh, as far as healing, as far as sharing. And so I'm just being honest with you that it's got to be a two-way street. But what we'll find is we'll find our healing and we'll find an incredible freedom to be authentic. Um, and what we'll find is uh, the health to actually be transformed to be changed by that interplay and it's not just okay this is who i am and you've got to you know you've got to deal with it you know i think christ would say and you know what okay now this is who you are now that you're revealing this now that i'm bringing my spirit and presence to bear um now you're free to change now you're actually free and and doing that in community which brings accountability it brings encouragement and and obviously part of this too is is a sympathy and uh, a sense that uh, a safe place to reveal secrets, um, a safe place to go and actually, um, you know, obviously they say you become your secret until you, until you, until you tell your secret and then you actually can bring that, <laughs> that healing to bear. Yeah. So, okay, transpose that over to working and being collaborative with people. I found a long time ago uh, as, as a Christian and, and, and dealing with, uh, you know, my own suffering and my own weaknesses, um, I have to enter into a collaborative process with a even a, a, a statement to my own brain, preaching preaching this to myself before I walk in the room. I'm going to serve that person. I'm going to be committed to the success of that other person. I'm going to be transparent, open, and share my heart. And so you you enter into that situation, and you obviously kind of date that person. You reveal yourself. Mm -hmm. You you, and then what happens organically is: do they respect that? Do they respond to that? Mm -hmm. Do they resonate with it? I find even people with hard personalities, even people that may be self-absorbed and not know they're self-absorbed or damaged or whatever, when you come in with that kind of what I would think prayerfully would be Christ-like, you know, uh, acceptance, love, and 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 kind of an acceptability that you walk in with that that I, that mindset. Um, man, the walls come down. You know, and and initially, what happens is you get to know the person, mm -hmm. and inevitably, because God is the source of all creativity, then you say, "Hey, what's 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 being said here? What's you know, what is the what? Depending on what the spiritual context of the person I'm working with, if they're Christian, what's God trying to say to us? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if they're if they're an atheist, you know, what kind of you know, or or maybe just kind of a a, a deist, you know, what's the universe trying to tell us? You know." And you say, yeah, I know the name of that universe. <laughs> you know, I know the name of that God. Like Paul would say when he came into Rome, just, you know, to an unknown God. Well, that's the, that's the God I know. 
and uh, and that's the joy of doing that. And then I think being confident too. There's a certain experience that when you when you're in that environment and you've been able to work in that environment and bring your skills to bear mm-hmm. and your gifts to bear and actually created art and um, kind of resonated with people and 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 uh, created friendships with those people. Um, then there's a certain success that breeds success. And so once you reach that point, um, then there is a certain kind of amount of, of, uh, of a watershed of, of stuff that happens. You know, even if it doesn't happen to be a great song, there's a relationship there that's strong. There's a respect of gifting and abilities that's strong. And so automatically you've created a friend and more importantly, probably a collaborator. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that doesn't develop um, either right then or perhaps later or, or, or never, you're still one person uh, extra with a friend. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's the payoff for me. Yeah, that's one of, yeah I love, I love the, the experiences that I've had where you develop great friendships. Maybe the song didn't do anything and maybe you didn't even write a song. Right. You know, you know how, you've been, how many sessions have you had where you get together, start plucking away. Three hours later, you're like, let's go eat. And then days, <laughs> and days going, you're like, hey, man, let's hook up tomorrow get coffee. And then you were like, well, we were supposed to write a song yesterday. You know, it, right. but you, it was all about developing that friendship. But um, you, you hit on a lot of good things. But I think um, one thing that I found is, you know, when you get in a room, there's a certain amount of transparency, tra- transparency and vulnerability that has to be in the room to to be productive, to be successful, to have a pr- productive not only relationship, but to have a productive, creative relationship as well. Um, you have to open up. I mean, you're, you're basically exposing your soul to one another, to whoever's in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, that transparency is, is, is necessary, is needed. You've got to have it. If not, you're pretty much just two bricks knocking up against each other. Yeah. Um, I, I was taking notes, man, so... <laughs> uh, and one thing that uh, John and my partner always talk about is uh, is serving the song. Mm. It's a common goal. Uh, as soon as you know, if if I write all the verses and all the choruses, and there's a bridge to be written, and he's just sitting here stuck like, okay, well, Mondo did all that. I have to do that. But I come up with a great bridge too. So basically, I wrote the whole song. Now, but that's if we're serving the song and not serving our percentage, mm-hmm. and serving how what did I do compared to you. When other agendas enter, enter the room, we forgot why we're even here. Yeah. We're, we're not serving the song at this point. We're serving right. your ego. We're serving your agenda. We're serving your publisher, <laughs> whatever right. it may be. Right. And, and I found that those types of environments are, never pan out. Right. Uh, and, and a lot of times never happen again mm-hmm. because you end up writing with someone who's all about yeah. whatever their thing is that day. Right. If they're not about the song itself. Um, and I and I think it, it relates in in friendships and walking with the guy in the walk. You know, as soon as it, it you're communicating with the guy and it's about your agenda, it's always about just your perspective, your perspective. That's what you think. What's going on right. with you? And you're never engaging right. the other person. Right. Right. It. Where's that going? Yeah. You know what I mean. So uh, that's that's one thing that I've really become aware of over the years, man. Is is uh, even in some guys, you know, I've had to reel them in. They're oh, so yeah. they're so conditioned. To be the other way, to well, you know, right out the gate, you know, a lot of times if I'm new with you, and I'll say, look, out the gate, here it is, man, even split, regardless of what you put in, right. we want a great song when we leave here. Right. 
That's it. Right. That gets all the cloudiness, all the gray area out the room. That's right. <laughs> right out the gate. That's right. So, yeah, we, uh, that's, that's one thing I found. You can really put that into real-life ap- application as well with, with friends and with guys right. that you're walking with. And um, and the last the other thing I was thinking of was, you know, what album do you know was done with one person only from beginning to end? Right. Wrote the songs, wrote everything, lyric, melody, produced it, engineered it. Play drums, running back and forth from room to room. Right. <laughs> I mean, what person you know? Right. Actually, did now? Okay, you say, well, Prince. Well, there was somebody in there with them. Right. Who did an album by themselves? Right. Well, now I'm going to date myself. Todd Rundgren. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are those kind of yeah. uh, super intelligent, right. but right, but nevertheless, Thank there you, was right. other, you know, There's other still, people. Right. Yeah. And, and so I mean, yeah. In a, I mean, literally by yourself. No. Yeah. I don't mean creatively. Yeah. I mean, literally no. by yourself on your own island. <laughs> so, right. so if not many people, if anybody. So there's always somebody at some point comes in to do a little bit of something. Right. So, again, if if your walk is that way, you're pretty – I don't – good luck because yeah. you don't have a lot of examples to, to pull yeah. from. Yeah. 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 <laughs> good right. luck on that. So right. the community aspect in the, in the creative environment – it's it's awesome. I mean, I mean, just just in here with us three. Yeah. I mean, all our lives are so different, yeah. and we have a common goal sitting in the center of the room, and we know we're trying to serve it. Imagine how much we can invest right. from your life, your life, and my life versus just my life. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know. So yeah. it's 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 an amazing thing, man. I, and I think in I've tried to take that same approach into relationships as well. Right. Yeah. Into right. walking with guys, and yeah. it, it's it's right. serving the relationship, yeah. not serving how I feel that day. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. This is great, uh, and I've got to tell you, Rex, I love, um, I, I love that the, uh, the way you just kind of encapsulate it. It's working for the success of another person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. dedicating yourself to the success of another person. Right. Um, you know, we do this podcast not for financial gain, certainly. Uh, we do this because we want uh, our listeners to succeed. Yeah. We want uh, Samson groups out there to improve. We want guys to get more authentic in their sharing. And mm-hmm. So we try to push the envelope here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I think it's it's only that same dedication that makes a Silas relationship work, mm-hmm. and that ultimately makes a Samson society thrive and grow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are we succeeded mm-hmm. to one another? Are, are, I'm sorry. Are we dedicated to one another's yeah. success? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. I love that, man. Yeah, I love that. It, it's kind of funny because when I talk about that, I sound pious, like I'm, you know, it, and it and it and it's a um, upside down kingdom. It's that that tr- transferal or, or transvaluation of what it really means because when you say you're dedicated to the success of another person, you're actually saying, you know, like Jesus said, you know, yeah. if you want to, you know, lose your life or yeah. if you want to gain your life, you lose yeah. it. And so, but, but really, um, you actually find your life there. He was talking yeah. about relationships. I mean, you find quote unquote, the buzz when you can give yourself away. And then that, that, you know, Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by the love you have for each other. And the actual, Genuine, like when Paul would write letters to the church, he said, "I was just overwhelmed by your genuine affection, your concern for me. You know how it really gripped my heart." That is a universal language. Mm-hmm. People can see that, and when they can resonate, and go, "This guy's loving me," yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that is kind of the, you know, songwriters are that way anyway. They're kind of the, you know, the the, the culturally kind of the, the peripheral, the kind of the people that Jesus would hang out with, you know, and not the church people, mm-hmm. the, the, the people that kind of are free enough to, to get authentic and then, you know, maybe they'll try to, you know, use that to their gain or whatever. But when, when you can actually share that experience in that environment, and of course, what I see is the power of Christ. Yeah. Christ is in your presence, because yeah. He said, "When you do it to the least, you're doing it to me." Yeah. He's right there. Yeah. You know, when you say, "Lord, show me where you're at," right there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like going, "Take me to where you are." Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. not where I want to take you with me. Right. Take me where you are, and I'm going to look for you. And He says, "Hey, if you look for me, you'll find me." Yeah. And He's right there. So for me, that's the buzz, man. Yeah. That's actually seeing the present. And so, and I think with me, I, I, I'm a person who likes to be liked. So what I'll do is I'll try to you know do everything I can for you to like me. So there's a there's a little codependence on on you kind of you know thinking I'm a great guy or whatever. But on the same level, because of that weakness and vulnerability, I realize that constantly I need to confess that mm-hmm. because that's my weakness and say, look, I'm you know I may not you know do things I should or not do things I shouldn't do because of this particular weakness or whatever. But please know that I'm going to keep chasing that. Yeah, and uh, um, so you know, it's it's uh, it's a it's a blessed place, and to me, the way what's going on in my life right now, that's the only sanity yeah. I can find. Yeah, is right yeah. there. Yeah, you know. Well, once again, time has flown. Yes, we're going to have to wrap this up. Uh, I'd like to take. I'd like to go out with a with a Rex Schnelli song. Which one should we play, Rex? And uh, before we go there, how how can people find you on the uh, worldwide interweb? <laughs> the mad internet. Um, my website is uh, rexpaulmusic.com, which is R-E-X-P-A-U-L music.com. And it's got all my records. It's got a lot of co-writes, a lot of songs I've written, um, some some pre-release singles, some instrumental stuff that I'm doing, some stuff I've done with Phil Kagi that you can't get on records, um, and then various songwriters and artists and connections to records I've produced for other people, Bill Anderson, Jim Brickman, uh, you know, various other people. So, cool. So probably there's a song called Love, Bring Me Home is the full title, Love, Bring Me Home. But the song Love is a progressive rock song, and um, on my records I play all the instruments usually unless there's a collaborative uh, overdub or um, I hire the guys I can afford (laughs) so it's usually me for free but um, but this song talks about just endurance and love bring me home you know so thanks so much for being with us thanks Rex thanks buddy Uh, and to all our listeners we will see you next week on the Pirate Monk Podcast Mm -hmm.